Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914 to 1918war.com. In this episode I'm going to take a look at a couple of recent anniversaries uh, going back to February 1915 for both of them. As always if you enjoy these episodes please like, share, spread the word. That's great if you can do that. Thank you very much. Let's get on with the show. The first anniversary I thought I'd dig into a little bit is on the 15th of February 1915, when about half of the 5th Light Infantry Regiment uh, an Indian regiment, mutinied in Singapore. 44 British officers, soldiers and civilians were killed during the mutiny, as well as a handful of Chinese and Malay civilians. The regiment, which had been a part of the British Indian Army, had a history of loyal service stretching back over a 100 years to 1803 and had been involved in battles in Afghanistan and Burma, you know, colonial defence type uh, activities. The regiment had been posted to Singapore in October 1914 uh, to help garrison the British colony there and to relieve the King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry, which was needed urgently back in France as uh, part of the uh, need to uh, get as many men as possible onto the Western Front. As a part of their duties, uh, they were guarding the sailors who'd been taken prisoner from the German ship Emden, which you may remember was one of the uh, Kreese Marine ships which was uh, marauding around uh, the trading routes of the British Empire at the beginning of the war. Unfortunately the uh, infantry regiment had suffered from poor British leadership and the existence of factions amongst the men. It was believed that the influence of Indian independence propaganda also helped to depress morale. On the 27th of January 1915 the regiment were told that they would be transferring to Hong Kong but unfortunately, rumours spread that they were in fact being sent to fight the Turks. This may have presented a problem for the sepoys of the, the regiment, who were Muslims and may not have wanted to fight fellow Muslims. Uh, sepoy is a word, uh, a northern Indian word for a warrior, and that's what they're generally known as. Uh, mutiny broke out on the uh, afternoon of the 15th. Some British officers were killed and the sepoys helped themselves to ammunition. Dividing their force, one group attacked the commanding officer's quarters, while another went to free the German sailors. This accomplished, they spilled out onto the streets, killing any Westerners they encountered. The authorities were quite slow to respond, mainly due to it still being part of the Chinese New Year holiday, but they were able to round up a scratch multinational force of sailors, local police and the Singapore Volunteer Corps to mop up the mutineers over the course of the next 10 days. Following a court of inquiry, 47 of the mutineers were executed, while a further 165 men were sentenced to transportation or imprisonment. The executions were uh, public executions, and there was a, a huge turnout of people to, to watch the grisly spectacle. I guess in those days of empire, uh, hearts and minds were less of an issue. <laughs> The second anniversary I thought we'd have a look at was 26th of February 1915, 
when the Germans attempted to break through the French trenches uh, on the Western Front with Flammenwerfer, or flamethrowers. The German army had experimented with flamethrowers in the early 1900s, initially as defensive weapons for use in sieges, and had developed two models uh, imaginatively called the Gross Flammenwerfer and the Keine Flammenwerfer, the big and small flamethrower, for those of you who don't have GCSE German. The weapons used uh, pressurised containers to jet burning oil in the direction of the enemy. The smaller, man-portable version could project flames for as far as 18 metres, while the larger, fixed-position version could double this range. During the war, a specialised detachment was created to train with and develop tactics for the use of this weapon for offensive purposes. The first concerted attempt to use the new tactics took place near Maloncourt against the French at a point where the trench systems were within 40 metres of each other. As Bernhard Redeman, commander of the flamethrower squad Redeman, wrote after the event, It was an immediate success when at the designated moment, twelve streams of flames roar with a loud hissing behind the enemy's parapet. Loud screams of pain amongst the enemies on the other side. Who wasn't set on fire? Jumps backwards and out of the trench. Headless they run across the country without cover. There is no time to retreat through the connecting trenches. Just away, away from the horrible flames. They leave all behind, even their rifles. Unconcerned about the fire from the machine guns of our infantry, they run across the open field. This is by far not as bad as the cruel death by burning. The prisoners had all been completely confused. An officer amongst them said, C'est à l'enfer. This was hell. After this excellent attack, the flamethrowers received a lot of appreciation from all sides. The impact of the flamethrower is borne out by a later account by Louis Barta, a French soldier from the summer of 1915, of what it was like to be on the receiving end of a flamethrower attack. But what is this? Has hell opened up under our feet? Are we right at the rim of a furious volcano? The trench is filled with flames, with sparks, with bitter smoke. The air is unbreathable. I hear hissing, crackling, and alas, yes, the cries of pain. However, it wasn't all one-way traffic. Flamethrow operators tended to be targeted by massed rifle fire and were unlikely to be taken prisoner if they tried to surrender. They were also subject to the ever-present danger that their equipment might explode, killing them and all around them in a subsequent inferno. And on that cheery note, I think we leave it for this week. A relatively short episode this week, just uh, dipping in on a couple of anniversaries. If you've enjoyed it, like I said at the beginning, like and share, it would be genuinely appreciated. Thanks a lot. Bye.